0: You are the visible expression of Christ in the world. You are the visible expression of Christ in the world. You've been tasked to do two things, to demonstrate what life in the kingdom of heaven looks like by the way you live now, and to announce that his kingdom is at hand. It can be entered now by the evidence of your story. So for those of you who are still writing your story, There's still plenty of opportunities for you to talk to me about that and to present the story of your salvation. Um, My plan, my hope, is to continue doing this until the first Sunday of Advent, take a four-week break for Advent, and start again in January. And I'd like to hear these stories at least through Easter, and then we'll see if we have enough to stretch to Pentecost. Because there are plenty of stories to be told, plenty of announcements of the kingdom of heaven, and we need to hear those announcements when i say that you are the visible expression of christ in the world you should think in these kinds of terms i don't know if you've ever gone to a house showing in a new subdivision that's about to be built and you've gotten one of those slick folders that says this is what the houses are going to look like and here's the model house, and they show you the beautiful four color printed pictures of the ideal. Right? To be the visible expression of Christ in the world means your pictures in the flyer. Okay? You're, you're the ideal. The ideal is not perfection, the ideal is reliance on the grace of God and living within the privileges of the children of God. And that's what we're called to, to demonstrate what life in the kingdom looks like. That's that's who we are. This morning, I'd like to direct your attention to 2 Peter 1 to 12. Oops, I got this upside down, not gonna help me. 2 Peter 1, 1 to 12. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith as precious as ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be yours in abundance in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us, through these things, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. For this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with endurance and endurance with godliness and godliness with mutual affection and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is short-sighted and blind and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm your call on election. For if you do this, you will never, never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. The last verse, the next verse of this passage is simply this. Therefore, I intend to keep on reminding you of these things. You know them already, and are establishing the truth that has come to you, but I'm going to keep on reminding you of these things. I don't have any desire to repeat these things aimlessly, yet there is a a protection in the repetition of the promises of God and in the recitation of the virtues that we're pursuing. Last week I spoke about the need for training and how important humility is to that process. Peter makes it very clear in these passages that training is necessary for everyone. But it is only those who are humble enough to admit the continual need of training that actually make the time and effort to get the training they need. Only they take the steps to move forward. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.6, we do speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. I I will grant you that this particular gathering of messages is designed to be wisdom to those who are mature. Without maturity, you probably don't discern the need for additional training. You probably don't realize how significant this stuff is because you're not ready for that type of meat yet but for those of us who are mature who are moving towards maturity who are ready to move off of milk diets and onto meaty diets this kind of stuff these kind of verses that we're going to look at today and in the next couple of weeks are the things that build strength into our soul and into our experience this chapter in 2 Peter 1 reminds us that we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. We've been given what? His great and precious promises as a gift from God. The thing that occurs to me and to others and perhaps to you is the fact that it's, it's easy for us to distort the promises were given and attempt to make them more than they are. Let me give you an example. We all have the need for some level of security in our lives and in response to that need, God placed us in a predictable world to supply some of that security. Sun comes up, sun goes down water evaporates rain falls seasons change in the same order every stinking year right you don't have to worry that you know tomorrow you're going to wake up and it's going to be spring we the world cycles are predictable and god has placed us in a predictable world that provides us with some security we don't have any days where fire falls out of the sky We don't have to worry about that. If you're like really a worried person, don't worry. That's not going to happen anytime soon. That fire is just, all we ever get from the sky is snow, snow, sleet, water, I guess maybe in a hurricane, a cow or two, but for the most part, it's really predictable. And there's a, a measure of security woven through all that predictability. We like the security of all of that but it is possible to become obsessed with security. Eight locks on every door, wire fence with razor wire around your house, electrified, security gate on the driveway, no one gets in or out in case they bring germs into my house, order the food online, no more shopping in the grocery stores, so you don't have to meet people who might be dangerous. Establishing and protecting your own personal security can become a god to you. It can become an idol that you pursue with everything that you are. And if that were to happen to you, you would become utterly useless to the kingdom of God. If you have no contact to people, and the mission of God is two people. You've res- just removed yourself from usefulness in the kingdom. So starting today and over the next few weeks, I want to look at some of the things that have a tendency to get out of hand. Things of God that are promises to us that are good, but we have the tendency to, well, maybe overindulge or get obsessed in these areas unless we're careful about a training regimen to keep us in balance. Maybe, maybe the danger of all that isn't exactly the right word. Here's Peter's words when he talks about it. If these things, this is verse eight of the passage we just read. If these things, then he, he's referring to all the good things in the passage that he's mentioned. If these things are yours and increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the training towards these virtues makes us fruitful and productive. The obsessing or overindulgence in the pursuit of maybe even the things that God promises us makes us ineffective and unfruitful. Whatever robs you, Of these good things then must be pruned away you know please remember God knows exactly what we need our lives are gifted to us by God life is a gift and it's meant to be good and the good things God provides are meant to be enjoyed but when we pursue the good things we want at the expense of our relationship with God when we want the good without wanting God then things get distorted. So we pay attention to the things we're pursuing. I'm curious, do you know the things that you're pursuing? What do your actions say you are pursuing? What do you want most in life? Many of you have read uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. And that particular book uh, is a correspondence Uh, revelation between a senior demon and a minor demon the senior demon's name is screw tape the minor demon's name is wormwood and the conversation is how to trip up someone who became a christian so when when you hear what i'm about to read remember that we're hearing this from the perspective of the other side so when these guys talk about the enemy of them they're talking about god Okay, so God is the enemy in this passage, and we're trying these two demons to trip up this Christian guy. This is what one of these uh, letters reads. Never forget, Tape is saying to Wormwood, that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are in a sense on the enemy's, God's, ground god made the pleasure all our research so far has not enabled us to produce even one all we can do to encourage the humans is to take the pleasures which the enemy has produced and to indulge in times or in ways or in degrees which god has forbidden god the creator is the author of all pleasures and good things. But Satan distorts everything and wants us to indulge in or pursue good things in ways that will harm us. Satan is the twisted devourer, and we must be cognizant of his ways. We've got to recognize the temptations so we can resist that trap now to the good side of all this scripture tells us well scripture tells us in many places that god has placed power in our hands one of the things god has promised us is a measure of power it's it's a good thing just listen to these particular passages. we know what god is doing in the world and we've been given a mission john 15 14 says you are my friends if you do what i command I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. We're we're not powerless slaves. We are co-laborers with Christ. There's a measure of power that comes to us because of that. God has entrusted to us the announcement of the kingdom of God. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. Have you ever seen a show on TV where someone claimed exemption from prosecution because of diplomatic status? There's a level of power in that, right? You're those ambassadors. You can rise above many of the attacks of Satan because you have been given power by God to do so. He's, he's, a, he's made it easier for you to see the temptation the enemy is sending because the Holy Spirit is in you and that gives you power. Paul tells Timothy that we've been given a spirit of power and I think, I think this is a confidence that we can have that the Holy Spirit is actually at work in us. This is what 2 Timothy 1.6 says. For this reason, I remind you to kindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. You know, as early as Genesis 1, chapter 26, God says, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and and it goes on and on so God created humankind in his image in the image of God he created them male and female he created them he gave us power from the very beginning we were given a purpose we were given authority to work according to the mission of God in the world but I think it's easy to forget though we've been given power we have not been given control there's a difference between the two our knowledge is limited therefore our power is limited so when paul writes this doxology in romans we understand what he's meaning oh the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of god How unsearchable are his judgments! How inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him to receive a gift in return? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things, to him be glory forever, amen. When when we pretend to know what is best, then we're starting down the pathway to attempting to insert control. Paul says in Romans 12 that by the grace given to him, he says to everyone, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. If you want to get a picture of what taking control looks like, You don't have to look much further than the playground. You've heard these words. If you don't let my team bat first, I'm taking my ball and bat and going home. Anytime we leverage our possessions to get our own way, we're attempting to take control. Some folks do this through donations. I'll give the hospital a hundred grand as long as they name the new hospital wing after me. Now, I'm not saying it's an exercise of control to give a gift toward a particular project. I am saying that if your gift is motivated to get what you want out of the gift or by making sure the organization is doing what you want them to do, then that might be an exercise in control what does control look like in other places some folks attempt to exert control in relationships they may withhold cooperation until they get what they want they may withhold affection or honesty or even communication until their demands are met passive-aggressive people will say one thing to your face but they will not cooperate upon mutually agreed upon plans until they feel that they're in control of the situation. People who require control in business may not allow a project to succeed unless they are sure they will get credit for the success. Employers or bosses may choose to sabotage a project that might allow a person beneath them to succeed and gain a moment in the limelight. This desire to control shows up in so many different places. It shows up in the relationship with parents and children, even when the parents and children are all adults. It shows up in the workplace, it shows up in every nonprofit business, every community organization, most churches it usually begins with thinking that goes like this due to my education or experience or heritage i really know better than anybody else here or i desire to have my opinion heated above all else because of my level of investment here or I need to be in control in order to protect these people from their own foolishness. Or if I don't gain control here, I might lose what I have and I need what I have, so it's okay for me to run the show. The temptation to control or to seize control can be very subtle. It may begin with the desire to protect others. It may begin with the fear that is legitimate. It may begin with the broken situation that needs repair. But here's the problem when you and I attempt to seize control of situations or people or institutions. When you begin to pursue the false god of control, you're never really free to love the people around you in the way God wants you to love them. Because when you attempt to control them, the relationship has been distorted. And if you are in control, the resources of God's wisdom and grace and insight are never available to you because you're limited by your own human understanding. And if you are in control, the chances that the Organizations and relationships and projects that you are involved in will become one-sided is very high We need power to accomplish the things that are our tasks But when we seize control We've distorted the power that is rightfully ours to exert and taken ourselves somewhere outside the fruitfulness of God's grace. You say, is resisting the urge to take control really that important? Well, you remember the hymn from Philippians 2, don't you? Jesus laying aside his heavenly throne, humbling himself, taking a form of a servant. Even Jesus himself refused to take control of situations. I can remember as a kid hearing a big old guy in my church sing the song. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called
1: 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. That's the
0: picture of Jesus not taking control. And if Jesus is our example, well, he did exert power while he was on earth, but he is leaving choices, really big choices, up to other people. I often hear people say these, these days that, that they believe that Jesus is in control Of everything and I guess I'm not completely positive that that's true because I think there's a difference between having the power to be in control and exercising that power if Jesus gives us free choices it's possible for us to choose poorly wrongly and we might mess up his purpose temporarily He may have to find other ways to achieve his purpose if we don't cooperate with him. Otherwise, we never really had any power given to us to be his witnesses, to be his kingdom bearers. After all, his plan is for you to choose of your own power to accept his gift of salvation. That's his plan. His plan is for you to be compassionate, to exhibit all of the graces he desires to see in you. But you still get to choose who you'll be, as does everyone in the world. Make no mistake, Jesus is king, but we do not see him universally acclaimed yet. Jesus is Lord, but he has not forced any knees to bow yet. Jesus is all-powerful, but he is not demonstrating the full extent of his power today in this season. And like Jesus, we humbly allow others the room they need to make their own choices to have their say, to exercise their God-given rights. I'm not saying this morning There aren't areas of life where we must exercise a measure of control. Especially when we're forced to contend with people who are manipulative, abusive, and attempting to control us. But I think we understand the difference between not allowing ourselves to be controlled by others and actively attempting to gain control over others. There's a difference there. The difference between the defensive use of power and the aggressive or offensive use of power is important. And so this morning I wonder, do you wrestle with the temptation to gain control? Are you tempted by the need to control your future? Do you need everybody around you to be okay? Are you trying to make everyone happy? Is your pain level so high that you feel you must find a way to control your circumstances? Is your fear such that you can't stand living with unresolved possibilities? Those are just, those are just some of the questions we have to ask ourselves in order to discern whether our actions are an attempt to control others or whether we have the grace of God to rest in his promise of provision for us. I guess I'd invite you to exhale, to relax, and to recognize that Jesus is Lord and his promises are true from generation to generation. That he has you in the palm of God. He doesn't need you to try to be God. He's got that job. And he's doing fine at it. Will we allow him to do that? Some years ago we would sing a little chorus that reminded us of God's work in our most def- desperate times. It went like this. If you remember, sing with me.
1: with love and grace for each new day he will make a way god will make a way
0: the excellent news today is that we do have power the power of the holy spirit is with us day by day so that we have the opportunity to to embrace the days that are ahead of us with some level of joy, no matter the circumstances. We have the power to call on God in our times of distress. We have the overwhelming power of love given to us by the Holy Spirit, which disarms and makes plain the evil actions and intentions of others. And so it is safe for us to invite the Holy Spirit to help us relinquish the desire to be in control and to let God be God. I believe that's the wisdom of God for the mature. Let God be God. Let me pray with you and then we'll sing a closing song. Heavenly Father, on our best days, we know that we don't want to be in control. On our best days, we're content with your promises and the power you give us to be your children. But we confess all of our days are not best days. And so we ask for your forgiveness for times we've attempted to seize control to do your job, often to the inflicting of pain on others. Give us a sense of humility to listen to the voice of your spirit today. Point out any areas where we're failing to trust you. And Lord, point out any areas where we're failing to exercise the power that you have given us so that we may grow to be more and more like you, sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. We pray this for the sake of the mission and for the glory of God. Amen. Before I pronounce the benediction, I would uh, leave you with a prayer request. Our sister, Margaret Fish, is in her last days, maybe last hours of life uh, right now. And I would encourage you through the day as the Spirit brings her to your mind to pray for her that God would ease her pain and would usher her into his presence with great joy and triumph uh, in these days. So if you'll remember uh, Margaret today, I'll appreciate that. And now may you reflect the glory of God in your lives as you rest on the power of the Holy Spirit that is in you so that you may announce and demonstrate life in the kingdom in fruitful and productive ways to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.